I'm Tim Gombus, and this is Faith Improvised. It's a podcast where I can think out loud and talk with friends about things that interest me. Books, films, sports, music, culture, politics, the wonders and complexities of being Christian in this world, and my academic discipline, biblical studies. You're welcome to email me if you like at faithimprovised at gmail.com. In this episode, Steve and I talk about passion and emotion in the populace and the place of expertise in politics. So I'm standing here in my study looking out on an absolutely brilliant day in Louisville, Kentucky, my new hometown. And uh, it's just a bright sunny day. It's warming up. It'll be around 57 degrees, probably mid-afternoon, clear sky. And I'm also looking out on the wreckage of a burned out apartment building right outside my window um across the street uh, i'm I'm actually the nearest apartment to this other apartment building there are three buildings in the apartment complex where i live and one of them went up in flames sunday uh, early monday morning which is absolutely bananas i actually was uh down with steve and allison sunday night uh steve and i watched golf uh goof around put on a movie and um <clears throat> also did some wrestling around on the kitchen floor. Steve showed me some jujitsu moves and we both got black eyes. So how about that? But anyway, um, Monday morning, we were at a little diner, small town diner, and I got a call from a friend that um, it may be the case that my building was on fire. And I quickly checked the news and it turns out it was not my building, but one of the buildings in the apartment complex in which I live uh, was on fire and um, pretty, you know, burning up pretty spectacularly. And I'm just thinking, you know, how how bad can it be? Maybe it's just a portion of it. But when I got here, um, it was full. I, I got back up here to, to town about 9 o'clock, and they were still battling it pretty vigorously, um, and they got control of it. Three, It was a three-alarm fire, which means apparently, I'm learning some new things, um, Three fire companies were called to this fire. They had five uh, hoses on extension ladders um, just dousing this thing, and there was water everywhere. The roof either collapsed or burned up. Um, the top floor collapsed into the third floor, which then triggered a chain reaction of collapsing floors, and um, all of that crashed down into the parking garage on the first level right across the street from me where my <clears throat> sorry where my car would have been parked if i were here that uh sunday night and monday morning so um my my car survived my little rocket ship volkswagen gti um very sad for all the other the residents of the 37 units in that building um just who lost everything in their homes everything was gone Thankfully, there were no injuries, no fatalities. Everyone was okay physically, but certainly this is going to be a traumatizing experience for, you know, kids and and families who just lost everything, all kinds of stuff. I mean, all you know, memories and possessions, and that's going to be um, seriously a, a traumatizing experience. So, um, the apartment ownership group is, has done a lot 
uh, to look after those folks and Red Cross people were on hand when I got here. It was just uh, quite a scene. <clears throat> but for the foreseeable future, um, I'm going to be looking out on a building that is not looking so good right now. I took a walk early this morning um, in the pre-dawn hours and um, there's there's one remaining ladder sort of hovering over the building and they turned it on. Uh, because of a couple small fires had flared up. So, um, yeah, very thankful for the expertise to sort of foreshadow the topic of this episode. Very, very grateful for the expertise of um, firefighters who know what the hell they're doing and, um, you know, have this kind of thing figured out um, to prevent loss of life and... Um, man to contain a very destructive force so this has been an adventurous week this has been a a very lively last couple of days to say the least uh i'm recording this on tuesday february 20th in two days steve and i are flying out um uh, to southern california gonna be hanging around in the pasadena area seeing some friends eating a bunch of great food and then uh, Saturday, Sunday, we're going to be heading down to um, Orange County to hang out <clears throat> with the wonderful folks of Vox OC. Um, this year, the last Sunday of every month, I'm going to be uh, leading a discussion of Luke's gospel with them. We're studying Luke together over the course of 2024. And um, we had a, an initial discussion in January of the book. The Lost Letters of Pergamum, which I thought would be a great intro to studying the Gospel of Luke. And uh, this coming Sunday, we're going to be looking at Luke chapters 1 and 2. Um, by the time this episode drops, I will have returned from that trip. But if you're interested in um, studying along with us, uh, VoxOC has um, uh, the capability of tracking the gathering time um, virtually. So there's a Zoom link. If you want uh, information on that, email me. I can sort of either pass the information on to you or hook you up with the right people. Uh, The way we're doing it, excuse me, is that I've produced, I've put together the NIV translation in a a Word document like I've talked about before on this podcast. Uh, I've done this with other New Testament documents. documents. Um, I've just captured the NIV translation and pasted it into a Word document, eliminated all the, you know, the section headings and all that that comes along with, um, you know, our published translations, because those are, I believe, distractions from understanding and interpretation, and then eliminated all paragraph breaks and all that. So it's just running text that's double spaced. And so um, everybody's going to be reading Luke 1 and 2 leading up to the Sunday and making observations, writing questions down, and we're just going to have a discussion of all of that. And uh, if you want that Luke document, send me an email. I'll send it to you. And uh, if you want to drop in and be part of our discussions over the course of this year, the final Sunday of every month, um, um, yeah, let me know, and I can give you the information about how you can participate with us in those. Um, I'm also providing a resource for the good folks at VoxOC so that the the subsequent Sunday, 
um, their discussion of how um, they can sort of grapple with Luke's gospel um, will continue. So I'll be providing for them um, topics for discussion. And you could participate with with them in that as well. Um, I'm just really grateful to have this opportunity um, to do this. And I'm grateful for Casey and to be able to hang out with his family and just all the other great folks there. I always have the best time. And I'm really glad that uh, Steve's coming with me on this trip to be able just to meet all those good people. Uh, a little bit about the discussion that Steve and I had over the last <clears throat> bunch of years, um, thinking about expertise in general is something that Steve and I have talked a lot about. It's been the topic of many of our discussions. Um, it's something that is usually highlighted in Coen Brothers films, um, the amateur versus the expert and the consequences that each sort of face as dramas unfold. And um, we've talked a lot about that when it comes to you know, biblical studies and biblical interpretation and pastoral ministry, and then also in the political arena and how that operates and functions. And so um, we were having this discussion the other day, um, last week sometime, whenever we were hanging out. And uh, so I thought I would draw that discussion into this format. And um, uh, our discussion gets lively and language gets expansive. So if you're, like I've said before, if you have delicate ears, um, this may not be the episode for you. However, um, oh yeah, I also wanted to say um, that throughout, I refer to the previous president, the 45th uh, president, or was he the 44th president of the United States? I don't like to say his name because I feel gross when I just say his name. I feel, I feel diminished. I feel my humanity is somewhat diminished when I say his name. And um, I'm very serious about that. Um, I feel that as a person um, with such low character and, and, and such shameless um, uh, badness in almost every area of, of his life and meanness toward people and small heartedness and the constant intention to do damage to people, um, I feel about that individual that he is... Um, um, I feel my own humanity diminished when I'm ever forced to think about him or talk about him. I, I don't want to give him any real estate in my mind uh, because I think that he just sullies everything that he is near. Um, but I've, I do feel like it is only appropriate to refer to himself in... Uh, oh, sorry, I feel like it's only appropriate... Uh, and speaking about him, to refer to him in uh, derisive language, in language that sort of situates him properly um, uh, among the rest of us humans, because he's he, his character is especially devoid of anything good. In fact, I was thinking about um, a friend of mine had posted on Facebook a challenge that was put to him to say something good about this person, and uh, I do not believe just after being an observer of him along with the rest of the world uh, for the last um, eight years, but beyond, beyond that to have known of his career um, for much longer than that, I do not think that there's even anything good at all to say about this individual. So um, 
with with regard to someone who is so lacking in any human decency or anything positive, I think that the only proper way to refer to him is in dismissive and um, cartoonish. Well, I guess I would, I would say it this way. The only proper way to refer to him is in language that matches um, everything that is true of him and that he um, celebrates, which is his ignorance and his meanness and his low downness. So that explains my language with regard to um, that individual um, whom I hope never occupies a, p- a position of consequence ever again. Anyway, Steve and I talk about a lot of things with regard to um, expertise when it comes to politics and experience and um, how to think about all of that. And it's kind of a wide ranging discussion, but we had a lot of fun, as I hope will be obvious. The coffee mug that combats anti-intellectual, you should, anti-intellectualism. You should read it. What does it say in there? Oh, uh, yeah. At risk of sounding like a snob. It says, it's my, my favorite coffee cup. It says, please do not confuse your Google search with my PhD degree. <laughs> totally, man. Totally. I know that could sound snobby, but it's making a real point. Yeah. You know, same point that Nichols' book made, really, yeah. in a nutshell. Yeah, I was going to say, I would have, I think I always would have um, felt, or yeah, actually, that's a good way of saying it, because it is that it functions at the emotional level, not the rational level. I, I would have felt that that's snobby. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, when Nichols talked about it, it made perfect sense because, perfect like, sense. you're, it doesn't, it's not necessarily like access to information, but like how to process it. Like people who are experts know where to, they know where to locate that information. Are you like, that's bullshit. That's faulty. That's just outright false. That's close to it. You know, that's a good assessment, but like experts, they, they have more than just facts. They have judgment. Yeah. That's huge. You know, tall, so big experience and critically applying things. Um, Just a process of going through a good, uh, dissertation process is oh, very hard because you have got to it just twist your brain left and right coming up with the right questions to ask yeah framing it correctly knowing and and this is where the the beauty of the academy when it does its thing as it's supposed to uh, you have advisors that will keep you from going down dead-end streets because they've been studying it for years and they know this <clears throat> this is not the way to go here <laughs> just yeah. trust me yeah, and you so can be had, a total fool. Like yeah. I, I actually was a secondary outside reader for a dissertation, and this um, PhD student would just would not listen to his supervisor. Oh yeah, and he was like, "Dude, he knows where he knows where he's guiding you. He's gone right. down these paths before, and you can think that you are going to break through that brick wall, but you're just gonna you're just being stubborn." And yeah, right. In fact, he just spun his wheels for like another two years and finally came to his senses. But yeah, man, I had a, there was a, there was an individual in my doctoral program, a candidate who was working on, we were both working on our dissertations at the same time. And one, one of my committee members, a philosopher was on both of our um, committees 
and he he just quit. <laughs> he took me to lunch. The, the philosophy professor did and said, so and so just doesn't listen. He's just yeah. stubborn. And he goes, I can't work with him. I'm quitting his committee. Yeah. And it, it's just amazing that. Nayball. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Nobody can tell him anything. No. <laughs> so funny, man. It really is. Yeah. And it's not just like, uh, you know, urban elites looking down their noses at uh, country bumpkins or anything like that. Right. I mean, I was thinking if you if you it, it's not elitist to right. say like um, John Mortensen is going to sit down at a piano and play, you know, he's going to play some incredible piece that he's practiced. He's known for years and he's been working on. Um, and then I'm going to sit down. I haven't sight read music for about 38 years i'm gonna give it i'm gonna give it my best shot yeah it's it's right. not elitist to say yeah. all right mortensen nailed it you made hash of things do you know what i mean <laughs> that's just an assessment he's an expert he's I know. got he's got judgment he's got theory he's got you know physical facility with, with his arms and hands and like he knows right. what he's doing it's not it's not a, an elite statement to say he's a better musician yeah yeah no it's it's a fact it's it's a factual thing you can check off on the boxes you know and if, i think a lot of the anti-intellectualism in our country well there's there's a lot of facets to it but um it, it, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance because there's so many things that we take for granted every day that our life depends on because of experts who know more than we do, like a pilot on a plane mm -hmm. we are talking about. You, do you yeah. go and, you know, you want to fly that thing? You, you want me flying that thing? Yeah. I mean, no way. <clears throat> and, and like everything from doctors to, you know, advanced medical procedures. Yeah. Like what are you, you going to call them just elitist because they're getting ready to do open heart surgery on you? Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I uh, I really feel in my heart I want to be a open heart surgeon. <laughs> I, I, I'm really sincere about it. Yeah, I really right. mean it. So uh, if you need a procedure, would you come over to my garage and let me take a shot at it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's so crazy when you break it down like that. Seriously, but I mean, it's funny because in the hard sciences, it's so obvious. Yeah, but in like the softer sciences, especially like in the christian culture that i grew up in and that you're very familiar with it's like sincerity means everything he's yeah. well-meaning well-meaning he, fe he feels a call he he sensed the spirit or whatever spiritual language you want to dress it up as yeah it's like well who can argue with that he meant well yeah well, meant well <laughs> it's not boy it's it's crazy man it's crazy it is crazy well we we were talking about um as applied to oh oh i was gonna say did you see that presidential greatness article that came out no so there's this presidential greatness project which sounds like uh i don't know sort of highfalutin um but it's basically just a, a panel um it comes out every once in a while where these presidential historians rank the presidents and there was uh -huh. one released the other day and the previous president you know, the, the orange painted blonde bimbo, he got, <laughs> I, I'm not going to talk about him as if I have any respect for him or anything. Oh, me neither. <clears throat> he's the, 
he's the dumbest person in American public life. I mean, just <laughs> and the most shamelessly buffoonish clown yeah, around. And he's very dangerous because he's calling out a lot of, you know, power among the yeah. public. But anyway, he, he got ranked dead last. <laughs> and, um, well, of course, you know, and like, where's, it, it was funny because uh, people from his um, administration or his spokesperson was complaining about it on Fox News. And they're like, well, uh, he tried to destroy the Republic. So that, you know, that doesn't really. <laughs> it's like, when you what? say, when you just say what he did, it's just it's a like, fact. Yeah. Or you could say something like, now, nobody's been in this category, two impeachments and 91 felony indictments. Now, that's impressive. That's, yeah. And the only president ever to not participate in a peaceful transfer of power. The only and the only president to incite an insurrection. Incite an insurrection. Like just all you need is 15 seconds of statements and then you're done. Yeah. And uh, I think it was the New York Times came out with a documentary. If if people haven't seen this on on the insurrection on um, what was it? January um, January 6th. Uh, it is oh, it's unbelievable yeah. when you watch how they put it together and camera footage. I mean, there, there they are. And so, yeah, there's just it's no nuts. Huh, it's crazy. But anyway, how did they we were get ranking, here. <laughs> yeah, they were ranking uh, the presidents and uh, Biden was ranked 14th. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Agent Orange was ranked uh, 45th. <laughs> and so it, what, what was really interesting to me was um how fox news i i got on yahoo um i was i was on yahoo and i saw the link so i just hit the link to the article and it, t- it was actually a reproduction of a fox news article which made me you know my skin crawl because <laughs> i just don't want my laptop to have any memories of ever being on fox news i feel dirty <laughs> um but it was interesting how the article began uh-huh a bunch of so-called or a bunch of self-appointed ex- so-called experts <laughs> rank the presidents. Of course. Yeah. Cause you've got to undermine it, you know, because yeah, they're like, and my first thought was, all right, who are these people? Right. And I looked them up. They're all <laughs> presidential historians. They've read biographies. They've done um, primary uh, source research. These are people right. who think about this stuff all the time. They're not just all a bunch of jackasses, like at somebody that right. can get thrown onto Fox News. Um, <laughs> but it, so you read around a little bit and it's like, yeah, this is they're being serious. and They're trying to be nonpartisan. And um, right. anyway, it just was a very interesting thing to come across in light of our conversations over the last the previous couple of days. Yeah, just about going back to like the same questions that um, were really the subject of like the dialogues in Plato about mm. uh, like politics and the Republic, how there should be like philosopher Kings and right. there should only be certain people who vote. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's like that. Yeah. Those quite like if, if you are in an era like we are in right now, those questions are not uh, like merely academic and they actually are pretty important ones to consider. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I I just think about uh, the place of the place of passion 
in among the the public and how that can be ignited by like a demagogic figure like oh yeah uh, you know like mr clown car (laughs) killing me i love it though yeah you know uh, uh there's there's a book there's a really good book called Anti-Intellectualism in American Life. It won the Pulitzer in 1964 by Richard mm-hmm. Hofstad, Hofstadter. And part of what you can't, you can't escape the discussion of when you talk about, I mean, this is, these are written by scholars. I've got five books talking about this. It's not like it's a fluke or we're making it up. It's like documented. Anti-intellectualism is a part of something we kind of have pride in it weirdly in our country. It's like, we're, we're not like those smart ass people up in the Academy elite vessels. Yeah. Said we come stand from monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> just folks. We're just folks, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's got it. He's got a whole uh, three chapters on religion of the heart. It's called. Oh, wow. And that gets, gets right to what you're saying you've got to discuss this because it, it, it's the one the, the third chapter is the evangelical spirit evangelical oh, wow. evangelicalism and the revivalist and the revolt against modernity i mean these are like like major planks for yeah. both both what we know of as in in at least protestant christianity as fundamentalism and evangelicalism conservative evangelicalism yeah. So, I mean, it's part of the discussion. Now, every book I have, Susan J- Jake Jacoby's "The Age of American Unreason," "The Paranoid Style in American Politics," "Idiot America: How Stupidity Became a Virtue in the Land of the Free," "Why People Believe Weird Things," and then the last one is "Nonsense on Stilts: How to Tell mm. Science from Bunk," wow. all written by scholars, and <clears throat> every one of them has a major section on evangelicalism and fundamentalism as part really of interesting part of the whole deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause that is, um, anti-intellectualism is a strong impulse that runs through evangelical culture in America and especially fundamentalist culture in America. Oh yeah. Where, um, you know, that whole trope of like, well, I'm just a country preacher untrained and as, as, as if that's virtuous, You know, as if you have, like, more credibility. And at the same time, there's this jacked up, like, worship of credentials. Right. Like, if like I I mean, I've traveled in those fundamental circles. Like, when I was in college, I went, you know, I went to, like, roommates' uh, homes for the weekend or whatever. And, like, this one dude went to, like, a revivalist church. And um, it's like, it was all kind of prophetic, off-the-cuff speech. Um, praising that he's sort of this untrained so and so, and he was a he went by Doctor Somebody or other Doctor Johnny something, and yeah, it's like why like why the doctor part? Yeah, you why know? The doctor it's like part. this kind of funny playing talking out of both sides of your mouth. Well, that's the craziest yeah, thing. It, I actually published an article on this, uh, not just on this, but where. Uh, I show how in one particular case of fundamentalist culture that I was investigating apes the academy. It, it, mm-hmm. it, and it, it, that's part of the cognitive dissonance I'm talking about. On the one hand, they say, "Who we don't need no smart-ass learning, highfalutin university uh, elites. Oh, but on the other hand, they ape that by creating their own um, – kind of fake versions of the academy like institutions publications they footnote they put doctor on there 
which is I thought that was really an interesting thing um, that I mentioned in this article because I looked at a lot of a particular set of publications that were put out and <clears throat> I got to thinking about this and every time it had doctor or PhD on right next to the on the cover on the front cover yeah where when I, I started looking around at like legit scholarly sources I have in my library they don't put doctor Ever. by it you never know you put it in maybe a bio yeah. uh, it's on the back cover or the dust jacket or something like that or is a professor at such and such a place but they don't but this place actually makes the doctor look bigger than normal, even than yeah. sometimes the name of the author. I'm mm -hmm. like, that's just that grabbing for, well, they're grabbing for authority, but it's just like what, what's so stymieing is that they're criticizing the same thing they're trying to emulate and pretend uh, to convince people. of. So it's, it's just the craziest thing in the world. Yeah. Appropriating it's so bizarre. academic terms like museum, like that. Yeah. We're going to have a museum. Well, what is a museum? Well, it's a place where experts weigh in on a whole host of different things from natural history to art to uh, everything in between. And, and it's a cultural public place where you can see the best descriptions, current model of what scholars have, have researched to say, here's the model, you know, take it or leave it. But with actual just, artifacts, with actual artifacts. Yeah. Not, not a, a floating infomercial. <laughs> yeah, we're talking clearly about the Creation Museum, yeah. which has no like it's there. There are no artifacts. It's just an idea. Yeah, it's like I a did building a that houses an idea. It, that's all it is. It's got touch screens. But when I got down, I did I did research on this place, and I asked the people who were holding, who held these PhDs, and some of them from legitimate universities. Um, and I said, well, where is, what is your central collection of artifacts here at this museum? And they're like, we don't need artifacts. It's a museum. I'm like, well, okay, who's, who is your lead curator? And they're like, well, we don't have one of those. I'm yeah. like, I'm asking these central questions like every legit museum has. And they're just like, never even thought of that. <laughs> mm -hmm. So what are we dealing with here? But look at <laughs> these zip great zip lines. <laughs> zip lines, yeah. <laughs> Go pet the, the Zorse. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's just so brutal. Yeah, it's crazy. It's rough. It, uh, but... Yeah, it's 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 easy to. And you know, I know a lot of people who, good people who buy into it. And I'm not. It's just easy. It's low hanging fruit to kind of yeah. laugh at. Well, I don't want to but mock I, the people, but it's the no. culture. Like I've always tried to yeah. make a dichotomy between like the people that right. need to, you know, that deserve love and have worth and dignity but the like the cultural structure that is really twisted and just highly destructive yeah it's worth and anti-intellectual to the nth degree yeah but it is it is true uh, uh, okay so this was one of the main um puzzling aspects of how it is that when um Cl president clown car candidate clown car came along in 2015 and 16 People were so puzzled that he appealed to evangelicals, right? It, it was you know this this uh, you know ostensibly um, just you know pornographic, uh, yeah. thrice married you know yeah. philanderer blah blah blah. How could evangelicals yeah. think that he's um, you know the the Messiah more or less, God appointed, etc.? And um, what 
I remember thinking um, it's the most natural fit because he operates according to grievance. I mean, he's just mm-hmm. he just bellows resentment and grievance and rage and um, this kind of like uh, stream of consciousness. And honestly, I remember early on listening to how he would talk. And he reminded me of John MacArthur. Yeah. Very like much just so. the, me too. These rants, like just Rant. angry rants. Like that's yep. all he had. That's and it. um smooth talking and all that. And I mean, it's interesting because they're both of Scottish descent <laughs> and um around the same age. So it's like there there's just a lot of similarities. Um, but I just thought actually it's a natural fit because fundamentalists and evangelicals have been hearing from their pulpits this kind of stuff for decades so like yeah, decades. while george w bush came along and signaled to evangelicals i'm one of you with, with just a little bit of jesus talk here and there yeah um there's nobody that really resonated at a gut level with mm. evangelical people like you know, President Clown Car, because it's like yeah. he just he captured that grievance and resentment, which is just oh, so yeah. which runs through evangelical culture. Right. Um, but yeah, so we were talking the other day about why is it that like you if you just laid out a case where experts, people who take a close look at things, um, just routinely rate uh, the former president as a threat as completely incompetent, a total con artist, etc. Like, wouldn't anybody just see it if the experts yeah. like sh- showed that? Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and and, and along that line, like, <clears throat> this is this, again, this may sound elitist, this may sound snobbish. And I'm going to say it. We are also talking about how, like, I, I just have the, I have such privilege to be around some some amazingly smart people. Some of them are friends of ours. Some of them are scholars. I mean, David Vinson, who's a medical researcher. Yeah. I mean, just some of the, like, they humble me with their, their, their brains oh, totally. and their know-how and their, and their education and all of this. And I mean, I cannot think, and these are people I respect, so I guess there's some bias in it, but I've come to respect them because of how incredibly they, they not only know and have the brain part of it going on in the education, they're wonderful people to be around. Yeah. They're just very humble and uh, loving and kind. It was like kind of. Yeah. Generous. Yeah. Generous. Uh, it's incredible. <clears throat> yes. There are always some exceptions out there, but sure. they're few and far between in my experience. And uh, many of my friends are at, at the university colleagues in different fields. And um, everybody I respect with a high level of, of just groundedness and, intellect and all of this we all think the same thing about this idiot <laughs> it's yeah. like there's no sam harris i mean you can just go down the list of public intellectuals um chomsky pinker sam harris you know they all say the same thing it's what yeah. are we i guess we're all just completely whacked in the head or something but uh that's yeah. another thing where it's like how can you not see this yeah Clown. yeah so it's it? easy to think that um, there's something frustrating about the system as it is because, you know, your vote counts <laughs> Your vote counts as much as somebody that doesn't 
you know, won't really take the effort to read up on like the character of politics or the history of politics yeah. or like how government works or, um, you know, a, a range of other issues. And it doesn't matter. You know, some of them may not even be able to read. Sure. <laughs> and I'm not saying that I'm not criticizing them as human beings if they don't have an education. I'm just saying there's something grossly, you know. Yeah. Just we're all like unbalanced. Yeah. We're all um, we're all being called upon to weigh in with our judgment. Right. But our judgment isn't all equal. <laughs> not at all. Do you know what I mean? It's like I, our I, value. Our value as people is all equal. Yeah. Um, exactly. But it's like there's something about, you know, as if as if we're all standing around, um, I don't know, as if a community of ten people is standing around a busted pipe trying to figure out how to what to do with it. If you've yeah. got somebody that doesn't know anything about plumbing, like yours truly, uh, yeah. I, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. You know, I, I, right. I'll help clean up. I'll go get something yeah. for you. But I mean, since I don't know anything about plumbing, whereas somebody else might. Um, right. people who know what they're doing should weigh in, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking, see, I worked for those listening out there a few years ago. I worked, um, with the Amish. Uh, we have a, a big Amish community here and it's the fastest growing in the country. I've been told. Um, <clears throat> so there's, there's these Amish coming in from Pennsylvania and Ohio uh, and Indiana some somewhat. And, um, a lot of industry, hardworking folks. I mean, really good work ethics. They, they, their places are clean and they look beautiful and they've got, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, they're just like any other humans. You're going to have idiots and you're going to have really great people, but as a whole, they've added a lot of industry. So I, for a while, I was taking on a new property I had to buy. And so I had to do some little extra work. So I drove these these crews around because they don't drive, they drive buggies. So, you know, and they're hauling these big trailers full of tools and stuff. So um, <clears throat> I really got to know them. It was almost like a uh, ethnography for me. Yeah. I'm always asking them questions. They probably just got totally tired of me, but it was so revealing. And, and here, where I'm going with this is that, gosh, I saw so many parallels. See Amish educate their students to eighth grade. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's it. Their, their curriculum is reading, writing, arithmetic. No, no higher order, uh, no science in the curriculum, um, just skill sets to, that they can go out and measure and build barns and do stuff like that. I mean, it's yeah. basic level stuff, which is great. Sure. I've had them do work on my house. They do, they do great work, um, build great furniture, all this. But when it came to complexity, it's like, okay, so the, the gas price went through the roof. Um, this was this was during the Trump administration gas and it's gone up and down <laughs> back and forth. It's kind of holding steady right now, but it was way up. It was like because I was keenly aware of this driving a big three quarter ton truck. Um, I mean, I was <laughs> like five dollars a gallon. Mm. And I'm like, man, I don't know. I, I told the Amish guy who, who was the head of the crew, I said, you, you got to pay me more money because I can't afford to keep doing this if the gas is going to stay at five dollars a gallon. And he did. He, he, he understood. And uh, part of the problem, oil prices are so complex. They're, they're mm -hmm. wicked problems. Like it's yeah. like the stock market. Nobody knows. There's so many factors. Um, one of the factors that spiked it about 50 cents was there was a huge super tanker stuck in the Suez Canal. <laughs> Do you yeah. remember this? Happened? Oh, it yeah. Took him like weeks to get it out. Totally. That cut off millions and 
billions of dollars worth of supplies that were trying to get through the Suez Canal. Some of them yeah. just went around all the way around Africa, the continent, yeah. trying to get to America and Europe. And um, that wasn't everything, but that was, you saw the spikes and people yeah. were talking about it. The experts on the, there's like, this is, this sucks because all these goods are just sitting there. Yeah. Some of them rotting because yeah. if it's foods that are being transported. And so I said uh, <clears throat> to this Amish crew, I said, well, it's kind of very complicated. Oil prices, if any one person had the power to control oil prices, they'd be the they'd be the savior of the world. You could yeah. run them down to 90 cents a gallon and everybody would love you. Yeah. Nobody, of course, it's way more complicated. So they, so in illustrating this, they don't. So I said, do you know what's going on in the Suez Canal? And they, they looked at me and they're like, what's that? They didn't even know what it was. Yeah. I, I said, it's a canal that connects the Red Sea to the other side of the Mediterranean. And there is an enormous super tanker stuck in that thing. I don't even think they believe me. They're like, super tanker? <laughs> like, I don't think, think they've ever seen something. This big. All these, these are, terms. They didn't even know what you're talking yeah. about. And locations. Things, I know. And I've been on some massive, I've been on aircraft carriers, but these things are unbelievable yeah. they're, they're so huge and so it, it got turned and wedged and i'm saying you know one thing that's going on right now is this big ship stuck over there and they just looked at me like slack jawed like i was talking about something on pluto yeah but it, 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 it it's not saying they're not smart people it's not saying they, they don't possess the ability to think critically they just yeah. don't know they're just ignorant they're not informed yeah and so it's, it's that level that you know, you're just like, whoa. So again, back to your point uh, of, of you have to make judgments about yeah. who's capable and who's not capable. Well, how much input do you have to make a judgment? Like we say, <clears throat> I don't want to go to a doctor who's just pulling things out of a toolkit, just <laughs> winging it, pulls out a hatchet to work. <clears throat> it's just crazy. Yeah, totally. It's funny when you think when you really think about it. Like if I need to go <clears throat> get my tooth fixed, I'm not going to go to somebody who's you know a podiatrist. It's just how <laughs> it's how guy. yeah, or an Amish guy. It's just not how knowledge works. Or yeah, no. I mean, I remember uh, God, I remember Jake had a a tooth abscess. I mean, just dentistry is just different in different parts of the world. We were in Britain at the time and took him to the dentist, and they just yanked it. I mean, just like that was, you know, the solution without really entertaining much of other options. But anyway, um, I was thinking about how it is that there are so many other factors that come into or like if you had said to somebody, um, if you just have an expert lay out all these factors of why this person is unqualified I think the complicating thing in our culture right now and the frustrating thing, I don't even, and I don't even know what to do with it. And I think this is what I, I mean, I get emails like this from a lot of people asking this kind of question. Like, what do you do when you're having these discussions like about politics with family members and all that? And they just see things so differently. And I mean, you and I have had these exact same discussions. Oh, yes. And it's like, it seems to me that passion and uh, resentment uh, cloud reason. So it's like you, uh -huh. you can you can read or listen to reasonable people, rational people, people who have studied and know what they're talking about. <clears throat> and then you think, well, why don't other people pay attention to these same sources? Right. And I, it's just, it's mind-boggling to me. The only thing that I can think is that 
there's this notion in American politics and and it resonates with American evangelical culture and fundamentalist culture of a resentment against elites, a resentment against so-called experts like that article that began uh, in that Fox news article about how like a bunch of self-appointed so-called experts, you know, it's like, and, Oh yeah, I was reading this morning. I was up early. I was, I'm trying to finish this demon Copperfield novel by Barbara Kingsolver. And it's about life in Appalachia. And some of the dialogue is very similar in some of the dialogue between some of the characters gives, gives rise to that same um, impulse that these country bumpkins in, in Appalachia resent people from the big cities that look down on them, mm. you know? So these are the kinds of people that like listen to the previous president and imagine yeah. that because he also has grievances against elites, that right. he's going to sort of fight for them or whatever. And they just will not see it. They won't see that he's a, just a complete con artist. Oh, totally. That's the you frustrating know, element. I think, I think the hub, the hub of it is like you say, very emotional uh, yeah. feeling. How do I feel? It, it's, we're not talking about carefully reasoned out what's going on. It, yeah. But you know, Sam Harris, man, <laughs> Well, he was he was a voice of reason for me when we were going through the pandemic and all that clown the tr- dumpster fire <laughs> the previous president clown Gee. car of jackassery. <laughs> I have no words for it. it I'm struggling. That's <laughs> clown. But uh <clears throat> this he he said something that it was like an epiphany he had cuz he's scratching his head trying to figure out why anybody anybody would would yeah. look at this lunatic but he said, I finally, I think I got it. I think I got it. And it was about a 10 minute little blurb. He goes, I, you can, he is such a colossal screw up that you can never, he can never judge you. Hmm. He can never look down on anybody because he's the, the biggest piece of crap walking on two legs. That's so, interesting. So, yes. Yeah, so then when you when you circle back to this idea that well, I'm being judged by these elites, I'm being looked down upon because I'm not as educated. I'm it's an inferiority complex, I think, mm. at, at some level. But with him, <laughs> who's who's he to judge anybody? He's just a complete walking train wreck. I mean, yeah. From the porn stars loser. to bankruptcies <clears throat> to like everything he touched turns into shit. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't man. know. Well, what, what is really? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think that is insight. I think there's a whole range of uh, yeah. potential insights and in trying to think through like the psychology of the populace. Like, how could just the guy that's the most? It's not. It's not that he's less qualified than anybody else. He's spectacularly disqualified. Like he, yeah. it's like it's spectacular how how much he cannot think his way out of a brown paper bag i mean it's it's just yeah. unreal it's unreal like his biographer that? said that i that line just sticks with me when he was telling this interviewer what i would like to tell every person is you simply don't have anybody in your life that is as dumb as he is <laughs> from a biographer and that's you know uh there was a there was an article in uh oh, i think it was the economist i, I think i might have showed it to you about there's a cover, a cover feature um, on how 
General Milley, you know? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was in the Atlantic, I think, wasn't it? Atlantic. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't remember. <clears throat> but um, basically, was the yeah, last was long firewall article. from, like, we're talking martial law, like, letting the military loose, like, Trump won, was considering. Like, yeah. bringing troops against our own populace. Uh, Unreal. And so... But there's this one point in the article. This was a really good article. You should look it up. Um, I gave it to my dad. I'm like, just please read this. Um, how scary it was mm -hmm. there for a moment. <clears throat> and so Millie and one other high-ranking four-star were being considered for two different posts. Um, one was like European Command, Sokir. No, it wasn't Sokir. It was European Command. And one was the Joint Chiefs, hmm. <laughs> Chairman of the Joint Chiefs. And Trump's there. He's got some people telling him, "Well, Milley is probably your best pick for chairman of the of the Joint Chiefs based on his credentials." And he goes, and then there's this other guy, and he goes, "Well, what do they do? <laughs> this high level military post is like, what what are they supposed to do?" And they're like, "Well, they're commanding entire the entire European continent of troops." He was just so clueless, like didn't even know what that was, and. He's like, well, what should I do? <laughs> like, uh, his point, but just so incompetent, like doesn't even know the totally. basic structure. Uh, it's just, it's just hard to wrap your head around, man. It is. I got, man, if I didn't have humor in my life, I'd kill myself. Oh, <laughs> it's totally. That's the only way to stay sane. It's the only way to stay sane when, when there's madness. It's just yeah. got to laugh at it. Um. Yeah, be the status quo kind of behavior or responses. I think that one of the main things that was showed up in the last administration was just the vacuity of the press that like it's become such a brainless operation, the mainstream mm -hmm. press. And I, I'm not coming at this from like a, the mainstream media's bias or anything like that. Right. But just so, so much of um, how, um, you know, press coverage is done is just to you know, to say, well, this happened today, this happened today without any kind of like weighing in. Right. And just um, saying that this is completely, this is nutso behavior, you know? Yeah. Um, anyway, but there's a whole lot to say about that. Um, but I think what, what a lot of this reminds me of um, in thinking about the character of the populace, it just reminds me of ancient political philosophers, discussions about passion oh, and about right. unreason. And about how, like, the danger of a demagogue. And, like, that's, like, I have found that, like, in, in having discussions about politics with people uh, today, it just ignites. It goes up in flames so fast because yeah. everything has gone wrong in exactly the way that, like, you know, the ancient Greek political thinkers noted and people like cicero it's just like this this is exactly what's wrong that people just yeah, fly into yeah. a blind rage instead of you know just thinking rationally about stuff and, oh yeah we were oh. talking sunday about um people flipping out that john stewart criticized joe biden as right. if that as right, if right. like john stewart is like a turncoat you know like right. when he like over the last couple of decades <clears throat> He's been like really a model of like what the uh, the political press ought to be, ought like to a, be. Cr a critic of everybody who's in office. Like, 
Absolutely. holding holding with suspicion people who are elected officials and making sure that they're invested in the public good instead of enriching themselves, you know, and always being skeptical Man, I, about their motives. I totally agree. And, and you know, I, I, on a on another on a sim- similar level, not, not only John Stewart, but um, Stephen Colbert mm-hmm. and um, 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 Dave Chappelle, I have heard comedian it's funny how comedians are starting to play the role of the really shrewd thinkers to hold people accountable Mm. on whatever side if democrat republican if you do a jackass move you need to be called out on it um and and um it's funny how comedians are are being way more critical than the than the mainstream press Uh, Mm -hmm. the book i just finished was talking about that 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 is a problem they're just Mm. going through the motions telling everybody what they want to hear more or less and it's just more the same, but um, yeah. How I, I've heard some of the most incisive political commentary from these comedians. Yeah, like, really yeah. good. Even Dave yep. Chappelle. I mean, he's over the top with some stuff he says, but hey, uh, some of it is really smart. Oh <laughs> yeah, really smart. Yeah, back in the day, um, Saturday Saturday Night Live was like that. The first, like in the late seventies. Like even that clip that we were watching the other night with Chevy Chase and Richard Pryor, it's like, oh my god, yeah, yeah like that. I, <laughs> I mean, that's just it was it was um, it yeah. was right on the edge, pushing the edge, right on the edge, you know, sure. and and not just being playful, but with regard to social commentary, right. So right, I mean, you, it, just, you know, and and you talk about the ancient Greeks; they had it. It was funny because they, man, they're so multifaceted. And the more, I mean, I teach this at the university and I love it. I just, there's no getting to the bottom of the depth of, of Greek myth and, and the whole, the classics. Uh, they're just, because it's, they're exploring the human condition you mentioned on your previous podcast. Uh, but yeah, just how um, <clears throat> one of the, the, one of the innovations that, that was Athens, a- Athens, Greece, you know, they came up with a the theater. Um, mm. I didn't realize till into my studies the ways that that Greek. We always think of Greek tragedy and comedy as being all over the place. Well, it spread all over the place, but it was an Athenian innovation. It was mm. it, it centered in Athens at the Theater of Dionysus there on the Acropolis on the side of the Acropolis, and it was the one place where these people who were both tragedians and comedians aristophanes is the most famous comedian um would come and write plays to criticize the power structure hmm. and they it was sometimes it was farcical sometimes it was serious uh tragedies um but it but it was the one place where you couldn't mess with it whatever that playwright did boom it's off limits even by the i mean there are a couple bad apples but they didn't believe bring military or political power against you because yeah. everybody realized that's the one space where you can get away with talking about it. And it's kind of similar to um, some of the more serious comedians now. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. I'm just thinking while you're talking about like a modern example would be like the, the yearly press. Yeah. The white house correspondence, uh, correspondence dinner where yeah. everybody gives yeah. each other shit. And that's, um, yeah. Uh, interesting that during the four years of uh, President Clown Car of Jack Assery, that he didn't do it. You can't he have humor. 
Do you no, remember you we would talk about that like when we were in yeah. seminary about John MacArthur? Like he just he could it was a humorless environment because it was like a fascistic community oh. dynamic. And yeah, everybody's like, nervous. Everybody's on eggshells. Yeah, because you didn't know when the emperor was going to spank you, fly into a blind <laughs> fury. <laughs> yeah, it's almost exactly. going to get whacked. Whatever you do, keep your head down and don't offend. The, totally, the great man. and powerful Oz. You know? Like Mr. Bloom in the front seat is going to reach back <laughs> yeah. try to strangle yeah, one right. of his kids. <laughs> Never in my wildest imagination. <laughs> man. I, it, as you were talking about um, you know, older historical figures of wisdom and Susan Jacoby's book, The Age of American Unreason, she starts with a quote from Thomas Jefferson that says, if a nation expects to be ignorant and free, in a state of civilization, it expects what never was and never will be. Yeah. It's really interesting. Because it's that's, it I think at the bottom line, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about ignorance. We're not talking about intelligence. Those are two totally different things. Yeah. We're talking about being informed and knowing and knowing the lanes of one's like I, I tell my students at the beginning of every semester, I am far more ignorant than I am informed. Yeah. I'll tell you I'll tell you what I don't know faster than i'll tell you what i know and even yeah. that it's like always subject to revision always subject to well new theory might come along it's like yeah taylor's taylor's statement certainty, yeah well that's the to me yeah. oh go ahead what's well, certainty is a symptom of death uncertainty the pulse of life yeah well i mean this is what um when you i mean you mentioned the process of a dissertation just um, I mean, when you know that you have to de be able to defend every sentence you write out of, oh, you know, 80 to a hundred thousand word project, that is just so humbling. And you really learn, uh, sort of the horizons of what, you know, like I know oh, this yeah. topic, there's some things I'm sure about. There's a lot of things I know about, but I'm not sure where I land. And then there are vast stretches where I don't have knowledge of those fields. And, and so like, pray to God, you're a dissertation a committee member doesn't ask you about oh, yeah. what, what you know, because it's like, please don't let them ask this. Totally, man. Yeah. And it's like that to me, <clears throat> that is in 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 the intellectual realm, that says everything about like humility. That's what humility looks like. To know that I know these things, I don't know about these other things, and, and I but I do know who to go to. And if in a pinch, if I had to learn, I, I know how learning works. Yeah. So, you you know, in a knowledge field, you learn about how knowledge works. It, right. Like, and I think that sometimes um, when experts, when we talk about expertise, it sounds like elitist or arrogant. It actually right. is the absolute opposite of arrogance. Opposite. Because to be <laughs> arrogant is to uh, arrogate to yourself um, some kind of expertise over fields of knowledge that you don't have expertise about. Precisely. So it's like to, to be able to map that intellectual landscape is actually humility. It's like I'm placing myself properly in with reference to fields of inquiry and fields of knowledge. And, yeah. you know, having uh, over the last, so we're, we're talking about politics here, like, um, you know, you were a history major with, uh, did you do a minor in literature? Yeah, my I did. Was, I'm a double major. 
I did, you know, uh, I was a uh, political science major, majored in like the history of political thought and political theory. And so just like over the years, just always reading about all this stuff um, and just reading everything and get my hands on. I'm not an expert at all, but I can tell when experts are talking about what's going on. And I can tell when people are talking, but just blowing smoke. So it's not like it's. Anyway, I'm just trying to map how like um, a sl- how much of a slur elitism is, or I guess elitism yeah. would be a thing where it said, "Look, um, your opinion doesn't matter, or you don't matter because your opinion is uninformed." That might be yeah. something like elitism, but it's easy to to tar all expertise with elitism, and it's just not fair and it's not helpful. No, no, and yeah, I <clears throat> just as you were explaining. Like I remember having lunch with this really brilliant phenomenologist. He's a Husserl scholar. He did his PhD at the New School for Social Research, studied under people like Hans Georg Gadamer and Peter Berger, all these big, big, big world names that you'd read about in Manon's book. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he, I I just remember how humble he was. Like we yeah. would be sitting there, and I had a divinity degree, so he would ask me my interpretation of some but biblical passage he'd say what what i don't know about this field what what do you think about this uh, mm. i'm like first of all i was blown away i'm like you're asking me like and really want to know what i think yeah holy cow that is not that's not arrogance at all that's real humility that's knowing what you you know it's what we've been talking about but it's just so contrary to and i i don't know i just, it, it just there is just cognitive dissonance all through this when we think about the former ass clown and how <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I think you I think you're being disrespectful to like human nature by showing any kind of respect to the person who just er, he's just earned nothing but derision. And and he it's almost like he models unabashed ignorance because totally he'll just say the most outlandish thing no matter how much how little truth there is to it he'll say oh blah 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 i got my big windmills cost cancer (laughs) (laughs) i know just pop it off maybe we should just shoot bleach in our veins and get sunlight into it it's like what in the hell are we talking about yeah but he's just so over the top that people kind of like it they dig it it's like, yeah, we need to be yeah. more like that. Spectacle. Just, ah, just throw, just spectacle of stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> like, what in the world? Some of the most outlandish things. But it's almost like that's celebrated. It will. It yeah, is, it is. You know? It's exalted. Yeah, It's exalted because I think there are pockets of the culture where anti-intellectualism and anti-elitism, um, there's some kind of uh, euphoria that comes from like purposeful ignorance. Yeah. I mean, I don't, <laughs> it's like just to, just to cut loose, like to let loose all manner of jackassery, I think is some kind of euphoria. It's nuts, but it's like, yeah. it's like some kind of drunken right. um, celebration <laughs> of backwardness that just is like, well, it's a way to say like, fuck you to the elites. It's like the ultimate yeah. fuck you to the elites. It just, it, it's got to feel so good. It's kind of fun to watch. And, and on some, <laughs> it is at some level. On some base level. It's yeah. kind of fun to watch. Like, I remember just cracking up, and I've got mixed emotions about Joe Rogan. I, I, think, he does, I think he should stick with comedy most of the time because he's a comedian. But yeah. uh, 
he, he was doing this one thing where he just couldn't believe. I mean, this is Joe Rogan, right? He, he, he says, look at this. And he was on his podcast. He goes, look at this. Watch Trump. And he's sitting there with this big pile of Mexican food. Oh, yeah. Just, just making fun of Mexicans eating yeah. his Mexican food. And he goes, can't believe it. Who does that? Yeah. How does he we were just, everybody's laughing so hard because it's just such a spectacle. It's like, yeah. who does this stuff? Yeah. But, and then, and then the other, it, it always, it's just always that cycling cognitive dissonance because on the one level, oh, I love him. He hates elites. And it's like, wait, he inherited hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. It's like Dave Chappelle said, he, he said, he looked at all these dusty, cold, dusted white people standing in line to vote for Trump. And he's like, you idiots think this guy's got your best interest in mind. He goes, I got to break it to you. I mean, he's just I, totally, it's, it's on so many levels. It's just backwards. Maybe yeah. that's why, maybe that's why when you and I, when we bring this stuff up to our families <clears throat> who share a different point of view about this guy, th there's a sense of threatening there's a certain certain threat that kind of hangs in the air because you're showing you start to point out all of the absurdity yeah and i think people's <clears throat> ego their, their pride kicks in maybe and yeah they're like oh, i'm not that dumb yeah. i can't be that dumb it was like i'm not just consider what we're, we're saying and we're not attacking you yeah. as being dumb but if you really see him for who he is you're going to feel pretty dumb for, yeah. for having been duped into some of this yeah and just just human pride i think kicks in at some level yeah it's like uh um what adam grant had to say in his book think again about and and you uh that one uh blog post that he sent me a couple years ago said the same thing when you identify so closely like with a public per public person or with an idea or with a political party and you make it such a part of your identity when that is shown to be wrong or um, the loser or whatever, it you can't help but um, take that as a shot against you because you've you've already right. sort of cast your lot with that person or political party or position or whatever. And exactly. So I mean, it, the 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 wiser course would be you know detachment. Don't identify. You know, really do the work of taking a razor to your identity so that your identity doesn't include I'm a, I'm a Democrat. The Democrats have to win. I'm a Republican. Right. The Republicans have to win. I'm for this guy. I'm for that guy. But to really detach in a, in a thoroughgoing mm. sense and not be a fan or a cheerleader for, or carry yeah. water for any kind of a figure um, so that you don't take it personally ever, ever. Right. Back You're able to, to sort of coolly assess yeah, back to John Stewart. <clears throat> hey, yeah, equal. and then and, and things like South Park. I mean, they go after everybody. Yeah, there, there's no, there's no, um, nothing is sacred. Uh, yeah, in their criticism, um, social criticism, whatever you may think of South Park. But yeah, that's exactly right. It takes it really. It's hard to do. Well, I think a lot of it too is our. Everybody's talked about it. Our our, our ancient tribalism. Yeah, I mean, we, it goes back hundreds of thousands of years. We, we we became a successful species, if you want to call it that, <clears throat> at least powerful species. Yeah, <clears throat> because we learned to 
to hang together. I mean, we, we're competing against animals that are much stronger and faster than we are. But if we work together and get some tools and have a tribe and have some teamsmanship here, yeah. <laughs> that will go a long way. Yeah. And it's, that's just hard to shake. It's just like the fear yeah. of snakes or yeah. something. It's like, it's, it's in us. And yep. that's why it is emotional. And then like we've said, so. Yeah. Whoa. It's the emotion thing <clears throat> that is just so, I mean, passion and emotion are sort of like exalted terms. You know, you got to find your passion or be passionate about what, whatever, but it's like, it's just, it gets us into trouble getting so emotionally fired up. What was that? What was that? Uh, that elevator button, the, uh, that, that picture you sent me when you were in Athens, it said, like, do not press yeah. button without reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the funniest things I've ever seen are overseas where there's a translational Translation, error. yeah. They don't quite get our language, but they're catering to American tourists. Yeah, it was an elevator, and I just couldn't stop laughing. What did it say? Don't press button don't press without, without reason. Without reason. <laughs> without reason. I'm like... So I've got to check my reason at the door and then I can hit the button. That's right. Do it with passion. Intensity. Yeah. With intensity. More intensity. Oh, that, that, that sign God, said. Correct me up, man. It's, it's an ice cream shop on the island of Noxos. And on the, in big, <laughs> big letters on the wall. It, it, this is another one of those translational things. It, uh, it was trying to express how great ice cream is. It said. It's so ice cream. <laughs> what? Yeah, like it's so delicious. But it's ah, so great. It is the so greatest great. Thing. It is, man. What one hotel said, uh, <laughs> it said, open all of the years. <laughs> For the rest of time, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Never closes. Uh, oh, man. that's a lot of confidence. That's that Greek. Uh, Machismo, yeah. the Greek version, anyway. Hubris. Oh God! So, dude, Thursday, heading to L.A. L.A. Can't wait. Yeah, this is. I was thinking this morning that this is going to be. This is the first time that we've gone there together since September. Wow, twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty one. When uh, momentous trip. Everything <laughs> came unhinged. <laughs> Center cannot hold. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, that was like there. There was like a uh, there was like a twelve, ten or twelve day stretch in September twenty twenty one when both of our lives just kind of blew up. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think it was really fortuitous that we were together, and then we ended up. And you know, yeah, yeah. And then we ended up just saying, let's just. Fuck it, dude. Let's go bowling. Yeah, that's and we right. just took a trip to to Pasadena for like five or six days, and just to kind of get yeah. our bearings. And we've um, had a couple of trips that are just total resets, like 2008 yeah. in Oxford. Yeah. That was more planned than the one we did, but yeah, it had its own dynamics that were just like, whoa. We 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 took deep, long inner looks at what is going yeah. on, and it was great. They were transformative. Yeah, you know, in both cases. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and then uh, since twenty twenty one, since September twenty twenty one, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, everything's just uh, there's been just a lot of change, and it's been like really, mostly like the the terms I think about are like emergence, 
and like mm. renewal and like rebirth. It just feels yeah. like a whole new and, uh, start, a new era. And um, it's like there's there's before September 2021 and, uh, and then there's after. And it's just like such yeah. a shift. And, oh, yeah. I, but I was thinking though, I mean, you've been to Southern California a bunch over the last couple of years. I've been there loads, but that was the last time that we went together. So this Thursday right. we'll be back there. We'll have to, we'll hit a couple breakfast spots, get some breakfast burritos and do some, take some walks in Pasadena. That'll be fun. Yeah. Venice, the great white. That, that oh, should be man. our celebratory breakfast. Yeah. That'll, yeah. We'll, we'll hit it Saturday morning. So there's no, the, the traffic is not so such a bad issue but it'll be yeah. a lot of fun cool bro see you at the All airport right. on saturday oh no 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 yeah. thursday Ooh, the, thursday my mind straight yeah. all right dude thursday mm-hmm.